0: Hello, you cunt. That's what you get you with <laughs> Cut my life in the pieces I am. Half a prick! Hello! Part 3 of Dumbest, Whitest Guy. With me, Brendan Burns. If you haven't heard part 1 and part 2, fuck off, will you? Fuck off! Just fuck off! No, uh, you really need to go back and listen to them because none of this will make any fucking sense whatsoever. So, this is a listener-supported podcast. Try not to be a prick. Go to patreon.com slash brendonburns, B-R-E-N-T-O-N-B-U-R-N-S. You get loads of free cool shit. For just three bucks or more, you subscribe to the show and you get, like, old episodes from the archives. I strongly recommend you go and do that because I'm about to take a bunch of them down. I think my entire back catalog's up there now. There's bootlegs never to be released anywhere, previously unseen material, all sorts of shit. And you motherfuckers that go in there and pay three bucks, take everything and then fuck off. Fuck you! No, I'm kidding. You know what? If you're skin, I get it. That's the deal with my uh, episode and demographic. You are poor, broke cunts, aren't you? God bless you. But you're a good bunch of eggs. Good eggs! Anyway, where were we? Fuck! Fuck! cock sucker. am currently in the front room at my... Uh, been in my Airbnb. And I have now put up blankets, curtains... Everything I can to try and soundproof the room because there's been tractors out the back where I normally record that will not shut the fuck up. Anyway, go back and listen to part one and part two because this shit won't make sense otherwise. Uh, we've addressed all the uh, the delusions, the mushrooms, and I'm leaning into this stuff just a little bit on a, I guess, a, a search of self-discovery If you fucking... Ugh. Anyway, so I wake up in Vegas after... Going to the actual site of the chapter called Exit Wounds in my book. And a lot of things look like what I described and I just don't know what's real and what isn't. And I have experienced reality stripping away a number of times in the past. So I wake up in the morning and I then reach out again to that woman, Nyla, in uh, Bisbee, Aussie lady. She's the one that first put me onto this uh, Patrick Scott bloke. I did remember his name right. And if you remember last episode, I said I was just going to drive around randomly, see if I'd bump into him. But also, I'd been like a bloke on a rock. Man. So I was so convinced that I was going to be a a, a naked guy in a lake. Man. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) so I'm randomly driving out that way and I reach out to Nyla and uh, I hope she doesn't mind here. He's in Northern Arizona. This is the Navajo bloke, right? who deals with people. Well, actually, I might as well just read this out. This is the best thing, I suppose. So I'm randomly driving around. I drove to Page. Like I said, I uh, woke up in the morning. My counselor from way back had said he'd been there just a month before, kind of doing something similar, you know, a spiritual vigil, if you will. So I reach out to Nyla, and she's like, he's in northern Arizona, White Mesa, I think. Tell him you heard about him through me and about the stonefish and what that is, as he might not know. He's very special. Let me know how you go. Brilliant, thanks, I wrote back. Uh, you're welcome. All paths cross for a reason. Did you go up the mountain? No. Nah. Now I'm off a ro- I'm off road in Nevada. Oh, shit. Oh, these are the texts I sent while I was on my way to Zook's Road. Right. Drive safe. Enjoy. If you have any better idea of how to get a hold of him, I'd super appreciate it. Many thanks. And that's from me. Uh, and then she wrote back. Uh, sorry for not getting back. To you, back to you sooner. It was my son's birthday yesterday. So as far as him doing studies, no, that's not how they work. He is called a lightning bundle man. This is not a chief, but it means he was chosen to carry on a legacy of holding a specific role in the tribe that has built over generations and generations of observation. The building of a medicine bundle for a particular angle of healing and fortification for particular people or family groups. This is tribal law stuff. His role is about water, rain, lightning, monsoon, and traditional and medicine ceremonies that accompany that knowledge. It's been passed on to him through his ancestors. A snake bite is similar to being struck by lightning, venom being like a lightning strike in the body. It changes the person chemically and can make their spiritual role in a community different, like an initiation from earth. His job is about spiritually fortifying these people. The career change is relevant, you listening to a higher calling that the venom may have been involved in, depending on the nature of your work and what that's becoming. He may be able to help you integrate. I'm not sure how it all works, but he's a highly reverent man and his knowledge is pretty astonishing. But he's very quiet, so rocking up up like some mad cunt may not serve you. Perhaps centred and open. Feel into it. If you really want to connect with him, I'll write to him and check in if he's up for it. See if I introduce you, so to speak, and then you can get his number. I spent two weeks with him and it changed my life. And I saw some of the most phenomenal things occur. So it is powerful stuff. Oh my word, that'd be amazing. That sounds spot on. I'm headed for Lake Powell today. I emailed him about appearing on the podcast, but that might be a bit much for him. But yes, I'm already seeing some fairly weird shit. So thanks so much. I know this must seem weird, doing this from a stranger, but I've been at this impasse before with some tribal bloke at Uluru. And when I went with it, it paid off immensely. So I'm completely willing. And then she replies, Nothing curls my hair anymore. I've been working with these ways since I was a child and much stronger since I hit my 29s. 29s? Mm. The last 13 years have been so with the degree of this kind of weaving. So yeah, I, it's actually pretty normal for me. This is her, not me even. It's kind of what I do. I'll tune in with Pat and see what he reckons and keep you posted. And then when I woke up in page, he said he he has ceremonies for the next couple of days. He would love to hear your story to know if he could help or not. That's the scoop so far. He seems like he may be a little full right now, but I'll try to get the ball rolling at least to get you guys connected. He's at Lake Powell presently. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm on my way to Lake Powell when I get this. Oh, fuck me. Hang on. Holy shit. I didn't realise that this is where I wound up. I'm just reading a text. This is exactly where I wound up. Check how far you are from the Valley of Gods. No people there? No. It's a big area. Not National Park, so you don't have to pay. You can go and camp in there and make fire. It's a holy land. If it's not too far, that's the one. Thunderbird style, Uluru slash Katajunta. Alright, now, that is out near Uluru. Don't know if I've ever told this story before on the podcast... But while I'm linking everything together, this becomes particularly uh, relevant. So I think I'm just going to drive around randomly and the universe will hand me this Patrick Scott bloke. And I'm thinking that it's, you know, if I'm on this spiritual vigil and I'm fucking leaning into the crazy of somewhere between reality and chaotic theory and God knows what, you know, I mean, as they say, when you change your behaviours, the most incredible coincidences occur. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that's what's going to happen. And like I keep on saying, like in this series of the dumbest, widest guy, you know, in this story, you know, it it takes a thousand things to drive you crazy and it takes another thousand to bring you back. But also that particular type of crazy, I kind of needed to turn the volume up on it And let it breathe a bit and let it run things like they say, you know, when it comes to like alcoholism or anything, that uh, the first step is about admitting there's a problem. And it's a very weird conundrum, this one. It's a very weird, there's there's a lot of contradictions going on here because whilst leaning into this shit, if it hadn't gone exactly the way it had gone down... Again, I would probably still be in that fucking headspace. So whilst I'm trying to almost, I don't know, control the universe and the world around me in an attempt for it to hand me signs, if it hadn't gone down this way, I'd still be that level of nuts. So this is relevant. Years ago, again, I don't know if I've ever told this on the podcast before, but years ago when I got out of rehab, right? (sighs) <sighs> they tell you when you get into rehab, pick a higher power, it can be anything, which is why a lot of people get a bit uh, standoffish about recovery because uh, they're all like, oh, it's a bit gaudy. But the longer people are around, the kind of the more sophisticated they get with it. But one of the, um, I guess, adages or cliches in rehab is it can be anything. It can be a rock. Now, I, back in the day, oh, this is pretty saccharine and kind of embarrassing, but okay. I, back in the day, the thing that I thought that had driven me nuts, and those of you that listened to the trilogy, was when I split up with my fiance. This is pretty saccharine, pretty sickly, pretty kind of fucking, ugh. But um, I'd always figured that I was going to propose to whoever I would wind up marrying at Uluru, because the way I looked at it, it was there before I was born, it'll be there long after I'm dead, and it has weathered a lot of weather. And there are indeed tribal people around that area that, do see some religious significance in it. And if I was to be anything, I think I may have mentioned this before, I'd probably be an agnostic pantheist, which some people think means many paths to, to God, but if you've seen reality strip away a couple of times, I wouldn't be, A, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some intellect behind the universe, and B, it's mostly nature and God are one and the same. Right. And there's a lot to that, I suppose, in indigenous dream time in Australia. And there's also something similar in ancient Navajo religion. They kind of invented pantheism. Well, they didn't actually. Indigenous Australians did. So I get out of rehab and they say, do everything we tell you to and you'll get a life beyond your wildest dreams. That's the promise to which you're like, oh, fuck off. Uh, But I thought I'd take it quite literally because I'm like, well, I've done the fucking airy-fairy, take a lot of mushrooms, go fucking crazy, saw Satan twice, you know, did DMT. You're supposed to look into the eyes of aliens and, you know, talk to God when you do that. But uh, I did not have, you know, as we discovered before, the positive experience. I did not have the positive version of that. I saw the demons and it wasn't very nice. So anyway, I then, I think it's like I'm six months out of uh, rehab, and I think it's that January. No, it's a year out, yeah. It was the year I was doing the part three of the trilogy, and I decided that I'm going to drive to Uluru. And this is the, ugh, bit, but I uh, I flew to Alice Springs, and I'd heard that there's a really nice drive through Kings Canyon, that it's about a 10-hour drive, I want to say. From Alice to Uluru, if you want to get like a good sense of the Australian outback, it's pretty fucking amazing. And it is an amazing drive. Like you see wildlife there. I saw the biggest fucking eagle I've ever seen in my life as I drove past it and there's nothing. There's nothing, by the way, except for gutted out cars where uh, tribal indigenous folks have just basically driven a car until it ran out of petrol and just left it there. There's a lot of shells of cars And just, I saw saw a camel, but I saw an eagle with a wingspan that must have been a good 10 feet. This eagle on the side of the road, plucking away at some dead shit. It was so big that as I drove by at a good 70 to 80 miles an hour, actually, no, I would have been doing 130 k's, fuck it, let's be honest. And uh, I could see its eyes, it was that big. I could see the color of its eyes, which were yellow, and I could see the lines of its eyes. That's how big this eagle's fucking head was. Then on the side of the road, uh, I don't know where I'd heard this, but I saw an Indigenous family, and it was uh, a bunch of tribal Indigenous ladies with just a bunch of kids. This is something that you will see quite often. And I'd heard all sorts of bullshit. You know, you've heard Craig and I go into the toxicity of that relationship. And on the list of my amends, or people that I'd done harm to in the early days was Indigenous Australians. And my counsellor at the time was like, there's nothing you can fucking do about that. But I just thought I could change the behaviour. So I see them broken down, they're out of petrol, right? And uh, I don't think the lady was even hitching. And I just pulled her over and said, are you guys okay? But I also upped the ante on my Aussie accent. Uh, Not on my Aussie accent, on my English accent. Because uh, if you've heard my albums, the English Indigenous dynamic is an upgrade. That's right. That's right. Uh, And as you may have heard on previous albums, Bean was gobsmacked the first time she interacted with an Indigenous family in the Aussie Outback. And uh, they were really, really, like, super nice to her. And she's like, what's going on? I said, they heard your accent. They know you're not Australian. They're presuming you're not racist. And indeed, Bean did say, word for word, holy shit, this accent's never got me that. Because around the world, let's face it, a posh English accent is usually attributed to snobbery and, you know, uh, colonial- uh, colonialism and, you know, uh, em- empirical superiority, you know, and just a shitload of genocide. Tricky genocide. Now, well, conquering, discovering, I believe the word was back in the day, discovering, but out there, it's better than being this guy. So I'm like, hello, can I help you? And... The ladies were like, ah, right, where are you from? And I said, uh, London. Well, I'm uh, visiting from London. She's like, ah, right, you don't know. Ah, right, you don't know. Which I believe you've heard me tell Craig this story before. And I offered her some petrol from my car. Now, the thing is, when I've told this story in the past, I've told a white lie. I, tur- I turned the volume up on. All I did was pull over, offered them petrol. They couldn't get petrol. And they said, don't worry, a ranger will be along soon. This is in the Aussie Outback, by the way. Sometimes I know when I've told that story in order to make myself seem like a better person than I actually am, I say that I drove them to the nearest petrol station and then back. Never happened. Never happened. Didn't do that. But, and the memory's kind of shaky now as well, and you know how sometimes when you perfect a story so much, there are details in it that you're not even sure if they occurred anymore, or, you know, some people just, tell themselves that that's what happened and it's usually showing themselves in a better light and you know we all do it yeah well anyway i did pull over i did offer help because uh but and i was tempted to drive him to the petrol station and back but then i was like ah fuck it's a you gotta understand it is the aussie outback it was 400 k's which is about 250 miles to the nearest petrol station and it would be going all the way back towards alice and I did think like, oh shit, that means I'll have to get a hotel. It was going to be a massive pain in the ass. Don't worry. By the way, I wasn't like it was 10 miles. Like I didn't let someone drown at fucking sea. She was like, don't worry, the rangers will be here soon. And that's just what happens out there. There's eventually like a ranger will pull over and give them petrol. Because in that community, there's no such thing as ownership. Everything is shared, which I was about to find out later on. So there is that interaction and... I then drive all the way to Uluru, which is about, I think, 500 k's in the other in the other direction. It's a good 1,100 kilometres, which I think is about 850 miles, I want to say, from Alice Springs to Uluru. But you can do that in a day, you know, if you gun it. Fuck yeah! But by the time I'm getting to Uluru, it is starting to get dangerous and I'm not insured. The, uh, Australia, the Australian outback is so dangerous that a, a, a car rental company won't insure you at dusk simply because a kangaroo will jump in front of you for sure and wipe your fucking car out. Uh, And sure enough, you know, did see big old fuck-off red roos, the big, you know, six-foot-two ones just gunning along. But it was an awesome drive anyway. Anyway, I go to Uluru and I stay there for three days and I get up and I see it from all angles and I even get to see it with the waterfall because, as they say, you're not a local to Uluru until you've seen the waterfall. Now, you may imagine it's not a lot of rainfall out there. It's the desert. About once or twice a year, it rains. While I was there, it pissed down. And when it pisses down so much that the rain collects in the top of the rock and there's a side that becomes a creek and the ecosystem changes overnight. Now, what is uh, really fascinating about a lot of Indigenous culture, which I didn't know at the time, is that nothing's written down. It's all through dance and word of mouth. And a great deal of the folklore in these dances and in, like, uh, the stories, which is like uh, in the Kununjara and Pununjara people, the stories are sometimes like currency, they have been proven. They've been proven to be true. But I didn't know that at the time. But I'm there for three days, and I got to see the rarest of sites which is there was a lightning storm, rainfall, the water collects at the top of the rock, and then I think I want to say on the east face of the rock, it becomes like this weird Eden-like waterfall, and it completely changes colour, everything. And I can understand why people attach spirituality to this geological marvel, Uh, because you have to understand as well as the, 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 the tip of the Uluru itself is just the tip of the iceberg that pebble, obviously, you know, rain and wind and just general erosion has whittled this thing down to a nub because they still study it to this day. I even saw drill... I found drill core when I walked around it. I went to go and show the the local geologist. He wasn't remotely interested. And it goes for my... Like, underneath the surface of the dirt, we don't know how far reaching that rock is. And I can understand why people trip out a bit when they go there. And indeed, it was the first time I was stone cold sober since getting out of rehab where I tripped and I had a positive experience where the earth started to breathe, colours got brighter, and Uluru is one of those places on the planet that does that to you because you've seen so many photos of it and photos just don't do it justice. It is a colour you've never seen. It is from a distance... I get why people trip when they go there, because as you walk around it, it messes with your sense of dimension and space and size, because it looks like and feels like a pebble that's been hit by a fucking magic ray that is just, you know, like the opposite of honey that I shrunk the kids, whatever the fuck that would be, like uh, honey, I grew the kids honey, I suck the kids off. Honey, I fuck the kids. Anyway, uh, it it just looks like it's been put through one of those, you know, magical expanding machines. And as you, you know, rub your hand against it, it's just, it's bizarre. It's like a, like an expanded pebble. Day number two, I go and meditate. And this is the slightly embarrassing thing, is that I always figured whoever I was going to marry, I would propose there. But The fact of the matter is the only person I was really stuck with for the rest of my life was me. So although you hear these stories of people reporting that they marry themselves, which really, they should shut the fuck up. But I went out there that I was stuck with me for the rest of my life. And I took a lot of things that I, a lot of baggage, a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger, and I gave it to The Rock and it went away. Don't know what to tell you. It was an external experience and I was stone cold sober when it happened. So fast forward the very next day, right? So I'm not renting a car to drive back through the Aussie Outback. I'm going to fly back to Perth from Uluru, although I think they call it Ayers Rock Airport. And for whatever reason, my plane was delayed. So I go outside to have a cigarette and I'm sitting down and I sit next to, well, this guy that turned out to be a, a tribal Kuntanjara or Puntanjara dude, right? And he goes, can I have a cigarette, mate? And after my interaction, I suppose, after my interaction, look, this is going to sound so weird to the rest of you, but I cannot stress enough. This is, I think, the first time that I've changed the behavior of being frightened, that I wanted to somehow make amends just by pulling over and helping out those ladies with their broken-down vehicles and their kids and just... Not being so scared anymore. So anyway, I'm sitting down next to this tribal Kundanjara bloke, because he divulged it later. And bearing in mind, I haven't been to or lived in Australia for 12 years at this point. And this is an area of Australia that I've never been to. It's right smack bang in the middle. So I sit down, this bloke goes, can I have a cigarette? I give him a cigarette. And he's like, yeah, you know, Kuntanjarra and Kuntanjarra people, we don't believe in ownership, you know? we share whatever we have. And I'm like, all right, here we go. And I was like, yeah, someone told me that the other day. There were these uh, ladies broken down. And I pulled over and offered them some petrol. Now, I can't remember if this is true or not. When I tell the story, he'd heard about it. I'm not sure anymore. Because if I didn't drive him to the petrol station, I might have lied about that too. Just to make the story neater. You know, to put a neat little bow on it. Can't remember. But he either had heard about it, which... They're 500 kilometres away. But then again, that's not entirely unlikely because he'd also mentioned that there'd been uh, a big party, a big dance around the Puntanjara the village, which is on the other side of the rock. There's uh, Obviously, it's like the Navajo Reservation, that there's their own area for the tribal folks to live. And he'd said there'd been a big party and, you know, there was loads of dancing and singing and booze and women So some fucking crazy white English cunt pulling over to offer petrol is actually a story, but I can't remember whether I made it up or not. But the way I told the story was he'd heard about it, that someone had pulled over and offered help. And he's like, oh, that was you. I'm not sure if that had occurred, but that's the way I've told the story. I can't really trust my version of it. But anyway, more on that in a sec. Actually, more on that next week. But what definitely did happen was he said so what brings you to the rock and i thought fuck it i'm never going to see this bloke again i'll tell him and i told him the whole thing why i was there and he goes yeah the rock's like that you give something to it it gives something back because you understand to us it's it's uh, it's more than just a rock you know uh, it's our history is in that rock because you see that 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 waterfall that you saw the other day that you know only happens twice a year the that eden there that wasn't caused by, fuck, I can't remember the folklore anymore either. But that wasn't caused by, um, oh, I remember, yeah, that uh, that pool, that oasis that was caused like years and years ago by a giant lizard that used to live there. And uh, you see on the other side, on the north face, and those two big cracks, that was when a woman was very angry at the rock for killing her children. So she whipped it until that happened. And none of this is written down. It's just passed down from generation to generation through our stories. And the weird thing was, right, I've since found out that there a lot of those Dreamtime stories of the giant lizard are fucking true. They were proven to be true. A lot of the ancient stories of the, of the tides on the east side of Australia were geologically proven, which goes to show how old these stories are. It's fucking staggering when you think about it. It's a fucking, I mean, it's older than the landmass itself. We're not just talking 10,000 years. It's so much longer than that. The fact that there was a different kind of dinosaur there then. There was a different kind of crocodile and it was a big fuck off. They found the bones. The lizard that exists in these stories, it's, it's prehistoric and it's passed down from generation to generation by word of mouth. And that's right. He goes, oh, yeah, it's all been a bit weird at The Rock. I remember this is actually the first thing he said now, think about it, because it's all been a bit weird at The Rock since this sorry business. And I was like, what's this sorry business? And he goes, oh, I can't talk about that. And I was like, you fucking brought it up. We're going out now, mate. <laughs> and he kind of laughed. And that was actually the icebreaker between the pair of us, of just that even keel, because I didn't know about Sorry Day. Yeah. Yeah, like in 06, I can't remember what year it was, when they'd asked for an apology and then they didn't get one and – what the Prime Minister refused to because you know after years and years and years of going what do you want what do you people want what do you want and rather graciously they were like well an apology would be nice and they were like nah fuck off <laughs> I mean how gracious is that you know how gracious anyway he goes ah oh, it's all been a bit weird down here at the Rock since this sorry business well, what's that about? what's this sorry business ah oh, I can't talk about that you fucking brought it up and I was like, you know, are we married now? Are we going out? What the fuck? But then he tells me the story of the crocodiles and the and the um and the woman with the rock and uh you know the, and and he goes, it's all passed down from generation to generation, you know, just through word of mouth, not written anywhere. And I was like, well, then what you've got to take into account, mate, is that somewhere in your lineage there was a massive fucking bullshitter, because <laughs> those cracks on the north face weren't caused by a woman being angry at it. That's weather, you dumb motherfucker, right? And then I kind of stopped myself like I was taking the piss out of a culture that I was trying to make amends to that I had really, as Craig put it so well years later, look, I didn't commit the genocide. I just did really well out of it. And it's true. I didn't commit it, but I did do quite well out of it. You know, everything that Australia has to hand you, it was off the back. You know, everything we know about the poisonous animals, it was off the back of. You know, a little bit rude that we turned up and they were like, don't eat that. Don't fucking eat that. This fucking big lizard over there. Look out. That's poisonous. That's poisonous. That's poisonous. That's poisonous. You can eat this, 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 and this. This place is habitable. And then uh, the quote unquote pioneers were like, thank you very much, native. That's the noise of gunfire. Anyway, that's the bit I did at the time. So I'm like, I've gone out there to do that. This has occurred. I've had this interaction because if we're doing neat little bundles, I'd pulled over. And the reason this guy told me all of this stuff was because I'd pulled over and he'd heard about it. And he'd either heard about it through me telling him or he'd heard about it at the party. I can't remember. One of the two. But that definitely happened. And I'm like, massive fucking bullshitter. But obviously given the dynamic between white and Indigenous Australia, I stopped myself. And I went, whoa, 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 fuck. I might have been racist, fuck. And I was really second-guessing myself. And then I thought, wait a minute, no, now I'm being racist. Because I hold that in the exact same regard that I don't think Jesus walked on fucking water. I barely think Jesus was. <laughs> Could have been a bloke, who knows? But, you know, as they discovered, historically, there were a lot of messiahs around that time. It was a messiah era. Let's face it, probably a magician, bit of a comedian, but uh, probably had a twin because a lot of magicians and conjurers and some very famous magicians who are twins have said, yeah, trick to that is twins. So whatever. That's the regard I hold that. But I'm like, but wait a minute, I can do that with this folklore, with this other folklore. Now I'm being racist. As I later would discover, it's the bigotry of low expectations. And that's when I came up with the idea for So I Suppose This is Offensive Now, which indeed then won me the Perrier with the Edinburgh Festival Award, which had been my boyhood dream, which was indeed the life beyond my wildest dreams that I had tried so many times for that they had promised me in rehab that if I did what they told me to when I first got out. John Hastings to comedy commentary, commentary to bad wrestling matches. Yeah! This, is this is Robert Cody. Who's Cody? Hey, I'm the Blue Meanie. This is Colt Cabana. And uh, Colt Cabana and uh, Mark has. I've already forgot his name. What's your name? Again? John. Hi, I'm Ricky Norton. John Hastings and Colt Cabana. And I'm his friend John. They do comedy and commentary, right? Comedy, the band wrestling. Bad comedy, band wrestling matches. You guys are calling band wrestling matches. How you're not getting heat with the talent is <laughs> beyond me. Every day at the Edinburgh French Festival. They're the Denver French Festival. The Denver <laughs> French? Festival. Is that what you said? Edinburgh French Festival. Edinburgh Film Festival yeah. at the Edinburgh. What is it? Edinburgh Film Festival. Mondays at 8 p.m. I don't know what time, bro. 11 p.m. It is at 11, yeah, yeah. 11 p.m. Yeah. 11 p.m. Every night at 11 p.m. for seven pounds. How much money? Seven pounds. Listen, dude. You <laughs> <push the beer. laughs> I don't remember. August. Every night. Every night in August. In the basement of the Monkey Barrel. Yeah. With the Monkey Barrel. Sleeper show. Oh, what a rush. Concert, bro. Something hot. Go fuck yourself better John Hastings to comedy, commentary to bad wrestling matches. Yeah! So I'm now. with that said, I am driving from Page to Cayenta to another pantheistic spiritual vigil, but this time I'm nowhere near as well as I was last time. This time, I'm digging deeper for those schizophrenic demons if you catch my drift. I am leaning into that crazy. Last time, I think I was trying to lean into the sanity and functioning. This time, it's like, uh, this still turns up in my life every now and then. This fucking, I'm not sure that this shit is real, runs things sometimes in my life. And it doesn't work out very well for me. (laughs) Oh, there's another thing I should mention. On the, I want to say, east coast up near Torres Strait Island, there is a dance that is basically an impression of a, uh, this is in Australia, of a woman that has been stung by a stonefish, that uh, she goes into the agony. And indeed they do. It's so weird that it's a shared theory in two cultures that are some of the world's oldest that are separated by so much ocean that you get stung by this shit and it changes you. <sighs> so I guess we need to remember that last time I didn't give the hitch of the lift. I just pulled over, right? So after I've had this bizarre coincidence with my counsellor who was there only a month before doing the exact same thing, he's not American, by the way. He's uh, it's, it's bizarre that he was in Page exactly where I was doing the exact same thing and he's like, I don't want to fuck with it, but just, just go deeper. Just go in there. Just drive in. And as I pull off from Page to make my way to the Valley of the Gods, there's a couple of hitches, a couple of Native American hitches. There's two lots. There's two old blokes and there's one big fella. And much like when I drove down Zook's Road, I needed to know the difference for me. Forgive me. I know it sounds crazy. It's because it is. But I need to see what happened this time. When I picked up the hitches, I was like, okay, this time I'm going to give the hitches a ride. But the funny thing is in pursuit of this Patrick Scott guy, I'm thinking I've experienced this in life before. Change your behavior and live randomly and bizarre fucking coincidences occur. That is just, it's leading statisticians have, I remember my friend Paul Prevenza told me once about, um, it might even be in my book, Fear of Hat Loss, available now, Amazon.com and Amazon.co.uk. Although, fucking, it's not like I see any money from it. Actually, fuck them. <laughs> but anyway, I think it, he'd said, uh, you know, when uh, a great deal of that book is about marrying up chaos and faith, right? And um, he said that a friend of his that worked for the American Statistician Society, they got a phone call from... The national lottery, and they said someone's won it three times, three times in a row, or not even three times in a row, but someone's won it three times, and it's apparently someone that bought only one ticket, and we just suspect foul play. And the statistician said, "We're amazed you haven't called us sooner," because, and this is my own personal musing on this: is odds say what should occur, and statistics disprove it, and that's the weird thing about maths and random living and statisticians follow the national lottery because it's one of the best things they can use for these exact anomalies and the way that maths works. I'm no mathematician, obviously. Really, Brendan, put it in layman's terms. You're blinding us with science this episode. Uh, (laughs) They just say that the way maths works is it delivers bizarre shit. You can have one in a squillion or, you know, one in a million, one in a million odds and the thing is, because every time you try those odds, say you have a spinning wheel and it's got a million numbers on it, every time there is the same chance of that occurring. Or even if you look at roulette, you know, a roulette wheel, it's red, black, red, black, red, black, you know. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, 48% it's going to be red or black and then there's one green tile on a roulette wheel. And yet uh, every time it's a fresh spin, it's still the same odds, 48%, 48%. However, the odds against rolling uh, the roulette wheel delivering 12 blacks in a row is massive against, massive against, but it happens all the time. If you flip a coin, the odds against you getting 12 heads in a row, they increase every time, yet every single throw is still 50-50. But at some point, you toss coins enough times You flip a coin enough times, you are going to get 12 heads in a row. That's just the way that works. So I believe whilst living randomly, it is going to deliver these incredible coincidences. And I have to know, after my experience on Zook's Road, okay, what happens when I pick the hitches up? And there's two old drunk blokes, and I'm thinking, fuck them, right? Not picking them up. And then there's one bigger, younger guy. And I drive past both of them to begin with, and I just because I'm on my way on my own thing, right? And this is and as much as I want to call it a spiritual vigil, it's still incredibly selfish. I'm like, "Ah, oh, no fuck that. I'm not picking anyone up." But then I realize like, "Wait a minute. I don't know where I'm going today." Like I'm just driving down this road. I don't the valley of the gods and this area that I'm headed for is I think it's, it's the, the size of fucking Germany or some shit. Let's work it out. Hang on. Not Germany. Can't be that big. Navajo Nation, that's what I'm looking for. Okay, it's about 500 square miles. A little bit more. Possibly 600 square miles, but round, if you get me. It's bigger than England. Oh my God, it's so much bigger than the UK. You could fit several UKs. If you folded the UK up, you could fit a few of them in there. Easily. Oh, who gives a fuck? Anyway, God, the UK's tiny. Tiny. Well done, you. So I'm thinking I'm going to drive... So that's fucking nuts when you think about it. I'm thinking I'm just gonna drive around randomly an area way bigger than the UK and I'm somehow gonna bump into Patrick Scott. But while I'm thinking that, I drive past some hitchhikers. Like I said, I saw a young bloke, two old blokes, and I was like, ah, fuck the old blokes. And again, I'm feeling quite selfish, but then I thought like, fuck, I did that last time. And already if you know, I've got this bent reality on Zook's Road that I know for a fact I made that up for the sake of the structure of the story, but this is still real life. Sometimes, you know, like that's a book. Fine. Fair enough. But last time when I was doing what I was told to do, I turned the volume up on picking up the hitches. Even though, you know, yeah, you get me. So I turn around and I think, well, I'll pick up the young bloke, right? And then I realise, like, oh, fuck, actually, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know. Like, I'm not going anywhere, but I also... I don't know where the next petrol station is. I don't know when the next town is. I don't really have much of a concept of what's out there. I've already been told by several people that it's the wild fucking west. It's wilder than the wild west. You know, that i got to brace myself for this shit. And uh, so I thought maybe I need some supplies. I haven't eaten yet either. I haven't had a breakfast. I had a shitty steak the night before, as we know. So I pull over at the petrol station, and I'm also eyeing up the younger big fella. That's hitching on his own. And I'm just watching him just to see what occurs. And sure enough, he gets fed up of hitching and he wanders over to the petrol station. And the guy he's been hiding is the drunkest man in the world. He's so fucking hammered, this guy. He's so fucking hammered. And he (laughs) is just... It's By the way, it's like, I don't know, 11 o'clock? Maybe midday. And he is face planting everywhere he goes. He can't walk. He's stammering along, face plant after face plant. And the young, I'm going to say either Uti or Navajo bloke, kid, he's like, ah, fuck. You know what? I can't put him in someone else's car kind of thing. And he just gets underneath the guy and they go limping off. So I get my supplies and then I drive by. The two, drunk. Not the fucking, as hammered as the other bloke, but they're obviously kind of fucking hammered. They're a little bit hammered. And I'm thinking, fuck that. I'm not having drunk blokes in my car. And so I pass them for the second time, as I'm driving deep into Navajo, UT country as it is. And then it just kind of starts to sink in, like, ah, uh, mate, come on. If you're committed to this, you've got to find out what happens when you pick up the hitches. So I do a fucking Yui. there's dust behind my car all sorts of shit and I pull up behind them uh, sorry and I pull up like I turn around I pull up on the other side of the road and I go where are you guys going and then they yell to me where they're going it means nothing to me and I'm like yeah fuck it get in so I turn around I do a Yui I pull up they tell me where they're going and uh, I'm like fuck it yeah right, let's head that way Uh, I've got some oranges here. Uh, What's your name? And uh, I think one bloke goes, uh, I'm Arthur. And then the other guy goes, like, I'm Harry, something like that. And I'm like, well, then, fair enough. They said, where are you headed? And I said, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going today. But I figure you blokes are going somewhere. So I thought I'd turn around and go, at least they're going somewhere. And the guy in the back, I said, oh, yeah, help yourself to oranges. Motherfucker, by the way, he fucking dropped it everywhere. He just, he didn't, didn't even throw the peel out. He just dropped the peel on, on my fucking floor. But you know what? My car was already a mess. So, fair enough. And then I said, yeah, but uh, I drove by you guys. Sorry I ignored you at first, but uh, I figured, well, at least they're going somewhere. And the bloke in the back, he cracks up laughing and he goes to shake my hand. And he's like, yeah, (laughs) I like this guy. And I said, all right. Well, you give me directions then. And then he goes, what are you doing out here? I said, Fuck it, I'm not going to see these guys for ages either. Fair enough, I'll tell them. And I told him about Patrick Scott. And they said, back in February, I got stung by a stonefish. And somebody had told me about a Navajo medicine man kind of thing. A tribal elder type dude. And he dealt with a lot of people that had survived venomous bites, struck by lightning, and they all end up changing careers. And they're like, oh yeah, what's his name? And I said, uh, Patrick Scott. And the guy goes, the Scots? I said, yeah. And he's like, the Scots. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, the Scots. And he's like, well, they're the the reservation down from my aunt's house. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. Are you fucking serious? I punch him in the arm. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I should also stress as well, this entire time while all of this is going on, (laughs) I am not remotely aware of the dynamic between white America and Native America. At all, I behave in a way that is very jarring to all of the Navajo and Ute people I come across. They're like, what is this cunt? What is he, like, uh, he's punching me in the fucking arm. And there's two of us. Uh, I also looked them up and down before they got in the car because I was like, yeah, no, they were smaller than me. You know, I could see they didn't have any weapons on them. So even if it kicked off, I didn't like their chances because they were drunk. I'm crazy, but I'm not a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as I said, this is a listener-supported podcast. Go to BrendanBurns.net for further info. There's probably still another two episodes of this. I would hazard folks. Jerry Might.